Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shambler. He is preaching from the book of Job. We continue on our new series. Last week, Pastor Abe kicked off this new series in which we're calling The Difficulty with Christianity. Uh, and I should introduce myself. If I haven't met you before, my name is Pastor Clint. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get the joy of preaching to you today. Pastor Abe last week kicked us off in this series of Difficulty with Christianity, citing that within the faith, within Christianity, uh, there is actually a lot that we should buck up against. There's a lot of the passages of scripture that should rub us the wrong way, should ruffle our feathers a little bit. And instead of negating that, instead of shying away from it, we're going to just dive headlong into it. Uh, one of the things I'm, I love doing ministry in Chicago and in the city and specifically at COTV, one of the things that is so, so good is that every single week there's somebody here who is either coming back to faith, not of faith, questioning faith, deconstructing, reconstructing. And I, it's fantastic. It's lovely, as a matter of fact. So if that fits you, as a matter of fact, you're, again, I said this last week, I'll continue to say it, you're not alone. The majority of us in this room fit in that category. Majority of us in this room fit in the category of not of faith, new to faith, questioning faith, or coming back to church. And so as we gear up for Easter, Easter is it's just four weeks away, which is quite insane if you think about it. Easter is uh, one of the most important days within the church calendar, and I understand Scripture tells us not to hold one day more important than the other, so I just contradicted Scripture. So maybe I should say, our culture, our world, uh, has an importance around Easter. And as we continue to ramp up to that, we want to be cognizant of it and give you all who come here uh, an understanding of these questions, of these difficulties, to face them, to question them, and then to ask us to see Christ of Easter risen and glorified on the throne. So that's what we're doing. Today's scripture comes from the book of Job. Now, quick little study on Job. Uh, no one preaches on Job, ever. I'm an idiot. And I just said, forget it. Let's dive into it. Now, no one preaches on Job. I'm going to get to here in a little bit why that is, because it's wisdom literature. It's, it's narrative, redemptive, historical. It's... It's hard. It's hard. And that's kind of the point of what I wanted to do. It's the point of what we wanted to say is let's identify a difficulty, let's identify a problem, and let's try to begin hashing out. Let's make it bite-sized, little chunks for us to digest. See, the difficulty with Christianity that I want to suppose to you today, and if you haven't asked this, I want to, I want to beg you to ask this question. The difficulty of Christianity of God is this. We believe Good people get rewarded, and wicked people get punished. That's what we believe. We believe that in our entire society. We believe that if I keep my head down, work a, a, a long enough job, I'll get a golden parachute at the end, and if something bad happens, I'll have a retirement plan, or I have my 401k, or I, you know, I serve my family, I serve my friends, I, I got good grades, um, I, I should get the job that I deserve. I should get the promotion that I deserve. We think do good things, get good things. Do bad things, get bad things. This is how we operate in life. It's actually called works righteousness. 
It's our default heart posture that every single one of us is born into. It's our native operating system. And we do it with God as well. So here's a problem that we face. How many of you have faced a struggle in life, a trial, a test, pain, punishment, wickedness comes to you? And how many times have you been encouraged or have you thought to yourself, oh man, I wonder what I did to piss God off. Oh man, I wonder what I did to, to, to get correction. Oh man, I, I, gotta, I gotta clean up my act. I gotta get better. Church, that is a horrid lie that our hearts tell us. And yet we struggle with it, don't we? Don't you? I struggle with it. And when we get good things, we think to ourselves, ah, yes, I must have done something right. Uh, there was this book made by a, apparently a famous blogger. I, I don't know. Back when blogging was a thing, it's no longer a thing anymore. So that's how old this book is. And it was talking about titans of industry and all the habits of titans. And it said, hey, if you it just here are some examples of people that do good things to get good things and get ahead in life. Maybe take a couple of what they do and just implement it, and you too can find success. Here's why that is so, so foolish. Because you can do every single thing correctly in life. And this is the problem that Job presents to us. You can do everything good and great and loyal and perfect and still not get what you want. And so, so here's our problem. Here's what you might say. Here's what you should question. Then why do it? That's what you should ask. That's a, that's a problem of faith. Uh, I just saw Les Mis this week, uh, and so for the next two months, just Jean Valjean, and I'm not going to sing, don't worry, <laughs> that won't happen, Javert, the whole thing will come flooding out, I, I just can't help it. I, Les Mis is one of my favorite, uh, I haven't read the whole book because that thing is 1,500 pages, I've read snippets of it, I've watched all the old versions, the new versions, seen it now on Broadway, and within five minutes of watching this production, I was already in tears. Five minutes, I was already in tears. Uh, many of you guys have seen Pastor Abe cry. You've seen other people emote. I don't know how to do that, <laughs> except that you get me in front of Les Mis. And then I'm like, oh man, I emoted a lot. <laughs> Les Mis presents to us the problem that Job presents to us. There is a man who is convicted of a crime and he's sentenced to 19 years for stealing a piece of bread as he tried to feed himself and his family. And you think to yourself, oh, he committed a crime, so he must be punished. But how much must he be punished? 19 years seems too far of a cry for stealing a piece of bread. And yet everybody in the world thinks, do bad, get bad. And the entire production is a showcase of this man who stole getting punished and trying to redeem his life. And he... The only way, the only way, look, I'll, I'll, if you haven't seen the, go, go see it. 15 minutes into it, this happens. Jean Valjean steals a piece of bread, is put into prison for 19 years, gets on parole, and he goes on parole, and he says, if all I'm going to get in life is wickedness thrown my way because I am wicked, if I'm going to be labeled a sinner, if I'm going to be put on the chopping block because no one else thinks I'm good, then, then forget it, screw it. I'll just, I'll leap headlong into a life of sin, and he steals things from a, a, a priest who's harboring him into his home. And he leaves, and he gets caught again. And, he's, and the guys say, well, you're, you're on parole. You, got, you stole again. You're going back to prison. I, I knew you're a sinner. And always, once a sinner, always a sinner. And then the priest comes, and the priest says, hey, you only took the cheap stuff. Why don't you take the best stuff? 
And he hands them even more silver and more wealth and more. And Jean Valjean is broken by this. See, he was operating under works righteousness. If I am bad and I get bad things and forget it, I'm going to keep on doing it. If I do good and get good things, I'll do that, but I'm bad. So what, what's the point? And then grace enters his life and he goes, oh, this has ruined me. And he changes his life. He turns his life around. No longer is he working for good things, but now he's working because of good things. And that switch, that small change up of priorities is everything. Friends, I want you to consider today. The problem that Job raises to us is this. God rewards good things. He punishes the wicked. And if I'm doing well enough to let God give me what I want, I'm going to keep doing that. Because honestly, at the end of the day, God wants me to be healthy, happy, and whole, doesn't he? God wants me to have a good financial account. He wants me to have a good body. He, he, clearly, clearly, God wants that. Does he? Because if that's what you're working towards, when it's not given to you, you must, you must question this. You must say this. Maybe God's not as good as I think he is. If you don't have a financial bank account, if you don't have family and friends and relationships, if you suffer from, from all sorts of ailments, you must ask, is God, what's God's economy? How does he operate? Ah, I'm going to give you the solution now. We're going to unpack it. I'm going to give you bite-sized chunks. But we're going to, I'm going to give you the solution. The problem is I do good things, I get good things, I do bad things, I get punished, and that's how God operates. Clearly, that's the Bible. Wrong. The solution is this. God will not stop showing you about his life and his perfection. God will not stop showing you about his life, his character, and his perfection. And you say, that doesn't answer the question. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Matthew 5.48 says this. How is that a Pastor, how is that a solution? How is that a solution to our problem of pain and, and everything in the world? It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as he is perfect means this. He will not stop until every last square inch of you is like him. There is nothing in the world that he will stop until every last microorganism that, that is in your life, every thought, is held captive by him. Every feeling is held captive by him. Every action is held captive by him. He will not stop until you are perfect as he is perfect. Now, that's what scripture says. And then let me do some fancy theological double talk for you here. And you're going to question me again. You'll never get there. Like, okay, great. Again, you raised a problem, you gave a solution, and now you're saying the solution is meaningless. This is very weird, pastor. I know. Hang in there. Because what he is saying when he says, be perfect as I am perfect and we will never be perfect is this. And we must believe this. We must know this. God is a perfect God who wants good things for us. And it's not double talk to say we'll never get there. And yet we need to pursue it. Because what God is asking us to do, it must mean this. It has to mean this at minimum. You can't do anything to get perfection. But perfection can be brought to you. You can't do anything to be perfect. We all sin. We all fall short. Jean Valjean, fine. If I'm going to be labeled a sinner and I do something wrong, might as well just do the whole thing. No, 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 no. What changed him? What changed him was not his ascent to perfection, but rather the grace of one who had wealth gifting it to him changed everything. That's what it means. 
Job 36, 22 says, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? A teacher. Wait a second. Hold on. That should clue us into something. Teacher. Who's a teacher like him? See, Job's faith is tested. The whole story of Job, the whole book of Job is a test, is a narration. But it's not a test like you and I think. It's not a, it's not a test like you and I think. I want to break down these little bite-sized chunks. Now, to do so, I, I could spend two weeks telling you how this all makes sense within wisdom literature. Job was, could have been one of the first books of the Bible ever written. Could have been. Likely is. We don't know who the author is. I think it's Job. It's pretty evident from some of the personal interactions that only Job and God talk. It's probably Job speaking. This is probably one of the first things of the Bible to be written. And it's wisdom literature that is very, 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 very hard to understand. That shouldn't scare you, but here's my encouragement to you. God is a teacher who doesn't give us direct one-to-one correlation, but cares more about our heart than anything else. How do I know that? Read Job. We're going to go through it. I'm going to give you bite-sized chunks. I'm going to try to give it to us in digestible things. But here's what I want to say. And come up afterwards or take me to coffee and I'll answer questions of what wisdom literature is and how Job is different than every other book of the Bible. We can do that. I wish I had more time. I just don't. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to see the problem as a long, outstretched meta-vision for the problem of pain and blessing. And I don't want you to do this. Please don't do this. Job is not a book that you can say, well, at the end, Job gets blessed. So I have to endure bad things to get the biggest blessing in life. Ah, I'll put that on. I'll stitch that onto a pillow somewhere and put it in my house. Don't do that. (laughs) The pillow nor the thought. Don't do that. Why? Here's why. That's not the point of Job. That's not the point of the book. It's not the point of faith. I want to give you three things. I want to try to bite-size this chunk down. After telling you that I can't really do it, because you, but that's why my job as pastor. My job as pastor is to give it to you in edible, digestible means. I want to give you three things. Being afflicted doesn't mean punishment. And actually, there's a bigger issue we have. Kind of two in one point. But first point is afflicted. Being afflicted doesn't mean punishment. And there's actually a bigger issue. Secondly, Submission doesn't mean you can't doubt. Submission does not mean you cannot doubt. And lastly, a solution of the problem. A solution of the problem. Point one, being afflicted does not mean punishment, and we have a bigger issue. In the entire account of Job, in everything that happened, the selective readings, I told you it takes probably the whole book. But in the first chapter, it lays out exactly all the rules of the book of Job. Job's family is taken from him. His, his kids are taken from him. His job is taken from him. His wealth is taken from him. His physical health is taken from him. And at the beginning of the book, uh, Satan goes to God and says, Hey, God. Hey, God. I, I have a problem with your little creatures, with your little humans. I have, I have a big problem with them. You're too nice to them. Which, by the way, what an accusation against God, right? Like Satan's biggest problem is you're too nice. You bless them too much, you give them too many nice things. They, God, the only reason they serve you, the only reason they follow you, the only reason they love you is because of the gifts you give them. Satan, what a weird flex by Satan. It's just the weirdest thing in the world. God, you're too kind to your children. Stop it. 
said no one ever. And so God says, God sees the challenge of Satan, and he says this. He goes, have you considered my man Job? And Satan goes, oh. And all of a sudden, Satan goes down, and he, he starts inflicting and afflicting Job. He takes his kids. He takes his health. He takes his, his friends, wind up being horrible, horrible friends. They give him all sorts of bad advice. And the problem, we look at it and we say this, and we say, hold on a second. Now, hold, hold on. You should be asking yourself this question. Now, hold on a second, Pastor. You're telling me Satan came to God and said, God, people love you only because of the gifts you give. If you took away their gifts, they wouldn't serve you. And God says, go try him. Go try him. As a matter of fact, have you considered my man Job? And all of a sudden we go, that seems very unloving, Pastor. Seems very... He's, 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 he's playing with Job's life. No, he's not. No, he's not. Because if you notice in the entirety of it, Job, because of all these afflictions, says some pretty nasty things about God. As a matter of fact, somewhere in the book, many commentators, all the commentators that I read, there's this problem within Job. Job basically says to God, I hate you and I want you dead. We call that, if you've been in church for a while, we call that blasphemy, right? And weren't you taught, weren't you taught, good Sunday school people, that blasphemy is the sin you can't return from? Weren't you taught that? But hold on a second. Wait, this is what? Look at the difficulty. Peer into it. Have the audacity. It says in the beginning chapters, Job did nothing, nothing against God that's wrongdoing. The pastor, he questioned him. He said, I hate you. I wish you. What is happening? Ah. Uh, see, Maybe we don't have these clean-cut lines that you and I assume because Job is called by God to do no wrongdoing, yet he questions if God is good. Church, have you questioned if your life, in your life, if God is good to you? I hope you have. If you haven't, oh, church, hear, hear me. If you haven't, two things are true, and I apologize. I'm going to exhort you right now. Ready? You prepared? Have you ever seen those crime dramas in which the lawyer asks the judge to treat the, the witness as hostile? And you're like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> Let me exhort you gently. If you haven't thought to yourself, I don't know if God's good. One, you live a very cherished life. You live a very privileged life if you've never thought to yourself, I, don't, I wonder if God's good. You haven't faced health. If you haven't faced hardship, if you've faced hardship, if anybody has faced difficulty, affliction in life, do you know what we all say? Do you know what everybody says? Where are you, God? We cry out, God, where are you? As a matter of fact, one of the biggest takeaways from Job that one of my professors said to me was this back, back in seminary. He said, Job teaches us that what is a man that when, when they are stabbed, when he or she is stabbed, do not bleed. Job is stabbed by life. And what's the, natural, what's the natural outflowing of that? I am afflicted, and because I'm afflicted, here I bleed. Or secondly, you haven't thought too much about the goodness of God. If you haven't questioned God's goodness and if he is good to you, you either haven't experienced pain and affliction, or you haven't questioned when you experience pain, pain and affliction, you haven't thought about it too much. You haven't meditated on it too much. You haven't gone down the rabbit hole, the Reddit hole, of, of how awful that is. I'm a Reddit hole fan, y'all. I just, oh my gosh. I, I was, 
this is my sick mind. We had a TV out in the overflow area that didn't have a remote to it. And I know there's a remote somewhere. And I spent 30 minutes today, like searching for the remote. I found the remote and I put batteries in it. And now we have it out there, but that's my brain. I read it holes. And, and if something is loose, I can't help but pull up a thread. God invites you and I pull at the thread. And if you don't, can I encourage you? Here's my exhortation. Do it. You should. As a matter of fact, you have to. If you simply swallow the pill of religion, if you simply swallow the pill, oh, God's God, and I, and you, okay, whatever. No, 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 don't do that. Job didn't, and he was called blameless. See, the problem with doing that is when we are afflicted, we think to ourselves, I don't deserve this, I deserve good things, don't we? And we think, oh, I gotta clean up my act. I gotta be better to not have so much punishment come to my life. Uh, there was a movie a number of years ago called Our Greatest Hour. It's about these Coast Guard um, men in the service who there's a distress call from boats and they have to go out into the Atlantic and, and save this boat and come back. But the, the Northeastern is just this incredible, anybody who's lived on the East Coast knows these Northeastern. There's these incredible systems that come in and they're deadly. And the men look out. The captain says, we need to go out. We need to save the ship. The, the call came in. <laughs> and the, the, they look outside and they go, uh, we're going to die if we go out there. And the captain looks at them and he says one of, the most, one of the most incredible lines. He says, our job is to go out. It doesn't say anything about coming back. Our job is to go out. It doesn't say anything about coming back. See, when we look at God and we look at when he says, have you considered my man Job? And Satan goes, oh, I will. And affliction comes. We think to ourselves, oh, man. Oh, man, it, this is bad. This is awful. He shouldn't be afflicted like this. Why? Because he was blameless? Because he was good? Don't you know people who are good and blameless and awesome and moral and yet have suffered through cancer? who have suffered through financial hardships, who have been gossiped, who have been slandered, who have been taken down, who have been ridiculed. Don't you know them? Maybe that's you. And you say to yourself, I don't deserve this. I don't understand this. God is not loving me. God is somebody that should give me good things. And if I'm getting bad things, he's, he's clearly displeased with me. Church, friends, that's how we work. It's not how God works. God has never given us our just deserves in life because of Christ. Christ has taken all our just deserves and heaped them on himself. If you and I were really, see, we have a bigger problem. Oh, church, we have a bigger problem. It's not pain in our lives. It's not trouble. It's not affliction in our lives. The problem in our lives is when we are blessed. That's the problem. Because I would say to you, why were you blessed? Hmm? Well, I got a promotion because of the hard work I did. Okay, great. So what happens if you start, stop working hard? Should you get demoted? No, 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 no. I've worked hard for this position. So now it's just homeostasis? Like you should, you're just entitled to this now? There's no such thing as homeostasis. Things are changing all the time. So you say, okay, well, I have to keep on working hard. Doesn't that sound exhausting to you? It sounds exhausting to me. See, what we have a bigger problem with is we understand do bad things, get, get bad things, do good things, get good things. And my question to you is, what good have you truly done to deserve anything in your life? And you say, oh, pastor, that's a, that's a hard question. 
But please answer it. Are you? Look, don't you people know, don't I know, don't we know others who are better than us in every regard? And if you say, nope, I'm the best, okay, come talk to me immediately after service. <laughs> I have some words. <laughs> you say, no, I'm, I'm the greatest. No, we're not. Can't you say, well, there's somebody who's better than me? Of course there's some. Of course there's somebody better than you. Of course there is. Does that mean that they should get good things because of their merit? Mm. See, the problem that we have in life and within Christianity is that Christianity never once says you get good things based upon merit because if that was the case, none of us would be blessed. It's actually Satan's accusation. God, you give them too many good things and they don't deserve it. And God goes, I know. And Satan goes, well, you have to stop. Do you see who works on meritorious get good things because you're good or get bad things because you're bad? Satan operates that way. Sin is that. I deserve. I hate to be the one to tell you this. We don't. We've been gifted so much in life that I don't, I don't deserve. I have a body that can walk around upright with no problems. My son was born with a body that can't walk upright with many, many problems and needs surgeries. And I look at that and we could say, well, you know, as Satan, will, or as, as, as Satan accuses God of blessing his people, as we will find out later in the New Testament when the apostles come across a blind man and they go, Who, wh what sin caused this man to be blind? And God says, no sin. And I have to look at my son. I have to tell him. I have to walk him through. God did not do this to you for punishing you. This is the fallen world we're in. And any blessing, any life, any breath, any goodness that comes is a gift from God. Do you see? If it's based upon merit, you have to keep on being good to get good things in your life. Doesn't that sound exhausting? I, I, I'd be exhausted after a week of that. How many friends would you have if they were only good to you because you were good to them? You see? The problem is not pain. Actually, the problem is blessing. We're going to get to that at the end. Next thing that Job tells us is submission does not mean you cannot doubt. I already have said, Job has these questions for God. He comes against God, and he comes at him hard and fast and says, God, I can't stand you. I shouldn't be following you. This is awful. This is horrible. You've taken everything from me. And God says, no blame was done. Now, that's really, really interesting to us. Because Job's circumstance should dictate to him. He should have eyes to see, right, that his life's not going well, so change your life, Job. That's what his friends say. Actually, all of Job's friends come, and they basically say, hey, um, what did you do to piss God off? And Job goes, I, I did nothing. And they go, ah, you're a liar. Confess your sin. Say it out loud, and you will be free. And Job goes, I didn't do anything. And they go, Job, come on. See, the problem that Job presents to us is that at times we are deaf, dumb, and blind to the things of God, aren't we? And we want a correlation. We want a one-to-one. -one. We want easily translatable, easily direct things. We want scientific proof that God exists. We want scientific proof that God is good. Uh, in the movie A Beautiful Mind, there's this really funny scene uh, where Nash, this main character, it goes up to a woman and starts flirting with her. 
and basically tells her in this movie, he's, he's a, a genius, but uh, along with his genius brain, he has some other things that stop him from socializing well. And he walks up to the woman and he says essentially this, hey, hey woman, I see you, you're pretty to me. Um, my, the, the chemicals in my brain are liking you. Would you like to date? And she's like, what? Like, yes, the, the synapses and things happening up here are scientifically driving me to find you attractive, and I do, so let's date. And she goes, you're an idiot, and walks away. And he goes, that was odd, and he doesn't understand what's going on. We do that a lot in our life where we want scientific proof and we want direct correlation of what's happening in life. And much of life, church, friends, so much of life is artistic. We can't look at our circumstance. We can't look at our time. We can't look at our finite temporal existence and say, well, God must hate me because he's taken everything from me. Do you know why you can't do that? It's actually what Pastor Abe spoke on last week. He said the woman at the well could not take, could not fill her water jug with her culture, with her experience, with her circumstance. Because if that's the case, that's all she has. She had to dump that out. It had to be empty, and she had to fill herself with Christ's understanding, with Christ's words, with Christ's value, not her own. Psalm 119 says this, and, and Job says the same thing as the psalmist says here. It says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pe uh, pieces of, sold and, of silver and gold. What the psalmist says and what Job is saying is this. In church, do we have the audacity to admit this? Do we have the, the absolute stare-in-the-face bravery to say this? Job saw the goodness of God because he did not shy away from affliction but embraced it. He did not shy away. He did not say, he, he said, Job said, what Pastor Abe said, what the psalmist says. You must empty yourself of all of your circumstance, with all of your time, without your temporal, and receive the decrees of God that are forever etched in the stone in tablets of our heart. Now, here's a problem within a problem that we have with this. And why I said submission does not do away with doubt. It actually embraces doubt. Because out of the whirlwind, Scripture says, Job was answered by God. Job was answered by God out of the whirlwind. Whirlwind's happening, chaos is happening all around him, his world is upside down, and God answers him in that moment. And here's what the psalmist is saying, here's what Job's saying, here's what Pastor Abe is saying. Don't you dare try to make an eternal God dictated on your circumstance, on your cultural moment, on your time and place. Here's another way of saying that. If I was to ask you to write a book on the meaning of life, and I was to etch it down, and we were to like put it on the internet now, but I was going to say etch it in stone tablets, but put it on the internet, it's there forever. If I was to publish your book on the meaning of life, who would read it 100 years from now? And be like, oh yes, this is the definitive work on the meaning of life. A 38-year-old white guy in 2023... Nope, that's not going to last. Do you see? What Job was saying to God was, God, here's my circumstance. Here's my cultural moment. Here's everything I think and everything I believe and everything I'm viewing. And God says, that's cute. That's cute. I'm eternal. I have been. I am. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am forever. Now, we read that and we, say, and we hear that and we say to ourselves, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. 
Isn't that really condemning? Isn't that really confining? Isn't that really dogmatic? The words of scripture supersede our culture? Yes. That's, that's unloving. That's restrictive. Yes. It's also freeing. Let me show you why. Uh, there was this movie, The Stepford Wives of Nicole Kidman. It was based on a book. The movie is not good. Don't see it. It's just not good. The book is a little bit better. And the book had this, this community of, of husbands that had all these very docile, very submissive wives. The wives did everything that were told of them. They didn't question everything. They looked perfect. They dressed perfect. They had their hair and makeup done every single day. Their, their dresses were, were perfectly creased. There wasn't a wrinkle on them. And this new woman and, and, and husband come to the city, and they're like, what is going on here? This is bizarre. And they start questioning, they start digging, and they start trying to find out. And what they find out is the men of this town have essentially replaced all of their wives with, with perfect, submissive, robotic people. And they're not people. They're, they're, they're not people. And see, what has happened is that we look at that and we say, oh my gosh, how gross is that? How gross is it to, to think of your spouse as your significant other, as the person you're in a relationship with, just simply following what you do and what you say and always being over them and always telling them what to do and always directing them? And the reality is, it's not a relationship, is it? It's not love, is it? See, what the Stepford Wives shows us and what Job shows us is it's freeing to have a God that doesn't demand of you that you perfectly obey in submissive without questioning, without coming against at all, because you realize that's not loving. We have a God who could take your best shot. Trust me, he's taken a lot worse. We're going to get to that. We have a God who says, come to me, all who are weary. Cast your burdens onto me. Church, when Job says, I question you. And God says, I know, I'll answer you. That should show us, that should encourage us, that should free us. That you don't have to have all the answers. Rather, you should know the one who does. Church, you don't have to have all the answers of life. Oh, thank God, truly. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to have all the answers. Because you do. And me submitting to you is not me being a Stepford wife. It's not me saying, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll simply go along the case and I won't ever buck up and I won't, I'll just be docile, ho-hum, okay, I'll go about my business. No, 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 no. That's not a child, is it? Oh, uh, for those of you who aren't uh, parents yet, that's not a child. <laughs> Every day is a fight. From the moment you try to wake them up in the morning, to the moment that they come home, to the moment they go to sleep, and guess what will forever be? It's not a child. God doesn't look at us as robots. Now, here's my question. If we think the relationship of the husband to the wife in Stepford is to say, oh, that's gross, that's horrible, you can't demand complete docile submission, church, I have a, I have a challenging question for you, and this is what Job is asked by God. Why do you expect that of me, God says? See, we think of it as gross and horrible and acceptable to look at somebody else and say, you must follow everything I say without question, do or, or be, be damned to hell, right? So we think, why do we do that with God? Why do we look at God and say, well, God, my cultural moment, my time and space, my 85 years on this earth is more important than your eternal word. And we say, God, you must change for me. I don't have to change for you. You see? 
That's unloving the opposite end. Do you see how that works? And we say to ourselves, well, then what's the, what do we do? Ah, that's the question. Job engages with God, and God answers him out of the whirlwind. And the point he says is not, Job, you have to do everything I say, but rather, believe I am good. Uh, many of us have read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you, don't, if you haven't read him, go read him. He's fantastic. He's kind of a philosopher, kind of a pastor, kind of a, he's just awesome. Go read him. And he has a quote. He says, if I say where God's will be, if I look at God and say, God, your will must be, and I fill in the blank with anything, answer this for yourself right now. God, I will serve and love you, but not if you ask me, fill in the blank. Not if you ask me to give up. Not if you ask me to Whatever you filled in the blank to either abstaining for, uh, from or doing, that's your God. Uh, I remember when I was uh, growing up in church, we talked about the end times all the time at the church. There was this book series called Left Behind. Don't read it. <laughs> I'm sure the authors are good people. I'm sure. Don't read it. And we read the left behind and we're like, oh my gosh, God's going to come back. And when he does, everything's over and we go to heaven. And I would always say like, okay, God, come back. But could you wait till I get married <laughs> and have kids and have a job? Like, just wait a little bit. Being married, having kids, and having a good life was more important to me than the presence of God. Church, whatever you say, God, I'll take you, but I won't take. That's your God. And it's not a good God, it's an idol. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying, if I say where God's will is, I have a false God. If I say where God's will be, I have a false God. See, the most freeing and loving thing that you could ever do in the entire world is giving up control, giving up your freedom and submitting to somebody else. That's freeing. Why is it freeing? Because you don't have to work on merit to get their good graces. You've been given their good graces. And because they're good, you can submit to them. Do you see, friends? It changes everything. It changes everything. Don't be a Stefford wife to God where you just simply go along and say, oh, yes, I'll do whatever. Okay, God. No, no, no. He doesn't want that. Oh, church, he doesn't want that. Do you know who was like that in Scripture? Pharisees. Do you know who Jesus was savage towards? <laughs> Pharisees. As a matter of fact, there was countless times in all of Scripture where people would come back and speak to God. Nicodemus was this man who questioned God, and then he came back at night. He came back to his home, and he said, okay, I asked you a bunch of questions. I didn't like the answers. I went home and thought, and I'm coming back again to you because I have more. And Jesus says, ask me. Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt or skepticism, church. As a matter of fact, he's already known about it, and he welcomes it. If you don't wrestle with doubt, I question if you know God. Because he asks us to do things that are insane. Can I just tell you that? He asks us to do things that are insane. And it's not for us to simply swallow the pill, shut up, and move on. No, 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 no. Oh, Job didn't do that, and he was called blameless. Lastly, I have a solution for you. See, one of the biggest things about Job is this. Job was a model. We can't look to Job and we can't do application. This isn't like Paul in the epistles. If you've grown up in church for a while, 
uh, you, you look at the epistles and you say to yourself, oh, the epistles are very nice. It says this. Um, it says, uh, it, don't get drunk on communion. Don't worry, our communion is grape juice. <laughs> um, it is grape juice. I was about to make a statement. I'm not going to make a statement. We should make it wine. Okay, that's, that's besides the point. That's for, that's for another discussion. He says, don't get, don't get drunk on, grape, on, on wine. We go, great, fantastic. Don't do that. Okay, that's easy. Boom, check. He says, love each other by serving one another. Check. The epistles are great. They're easy. They're, they're scientific. We get to Job and it's not. And we go, whoa, what do we do with this? See, we can't do one-to-one. We can't do, Here, here's a statement. I must apply it. Because if you were to apply Job's life, here's what that means. You're wishing Satan to come and kill your entire family and take all your wealth. Don't do that. Instead, you should see it as a model. And here's what I mean by model. I'm going to express to you Job, and then I'm going to ask you to look at something. Job was a blameless man who did nothing wrong, who was tempted by Satan, who was crushed, beaten, scorned, stabbed. He had his family taken from him. He didn't have a single friend left on the planet. He had everything gone. His kids removed. His friends taken. He had horrible advice from those friends when he did talk to them. He endured pain and then at the end was gifted children. Sound like anybody you know? Christ was blameless, sinless, beaten, struck down, tempted by Satan in the desert, forgotten and alone on the cross with not a single person calling him who he was. His best friend saying, I don't know who that man is. Don't talk to me about him. When they did talk, horrible advice, and at the end, his enduring suffering was all for the glory of his children. Do you see? Job is a model. Christ is the answer. Job presents the problem. The finalization is in Christ. At the end of Job, here's where I get this. Here's where I understand. At the end of Job, there's this really, really, really unique situation. Job goes through all of this trial. He's tested, and he gets down to the end, and he comes to the end, and all of a sudden, he's gifted children and wealth and more cattle and more livestock. And he does something very unique. He has seven sons, three daughters, and he lists the three daughters, and then he says he gave them an inheritance. And he, he says they're the most beautiful in all the land. Now, we want to say, we, we want to extrapolate a lot out of that. And I, I want to give you what I think Job is talking about with commentators, what I read other people saying. The three daughters were not legally obligated and culturally obligated and familiarly obligated to receive a blessing from their father before the father died. And even when the father died, it was supposed to go to the sons first. And it says in Job that he gifted his daughters all of this stuff before he died and before the sons. The sons probably got some. It says in there that that his children were given inheritance, but it focuses on the daughters. Now, here's why that's important. Remember when I said earlier that Job was more than likely one of the first books, if not the first book written of the Bible. So do you know what wasn't instituted yet or what wasn't widely known because the entirety of Job doesn't, there's nothing that happens here. There's no temple. There's no way to worship. There's no priests. There's no gatherings. There's no law. There's no decrees. There's nothing for Job to go to and say, what must I do? See, Israel had these things. When I sin, when bad things happen, animal sacrifice, go to the priests, pray. Job has none of that. Look what he does. Out of the world when God answers him, Job receives clarity on who God is. He doesn't say, God, you, I deserve good things, but rather I receive good things. Job receives gifts, and then what does he do with it? What does he do? 
He does something stupid. He lavishes his children, even the least of these, even the ones that culturally should not have been. Job says, here you go. See, what Job tells us is that there's one to come who struggled so much and endured so much pain that he now lavishes his gifts on all of us, yes, even to the least of us. That Christ endured the cross, was stabbed, bled out, and now we receive the good gifts of a good father and a good son. And the son said, not my will, but your will. Bonhoeffer got it from Christ, and Christ looked at God and said, God, I don't want to endure this, but I will. Why? Because it grants me children, and I'm going to bless those kids unending. Do you see, friends? Do you see? Christ said, God said to his son, he says to us, he said to Job, I love you enough to let you struggle. This is a test of faith. It's not a test of faith as pass, fail, A, B, C, D. It's not like that at all. This is a test of faith like an audit is a test. Audits are horrible and awful, are they not? Yes, they are. But do you know what an audit does? It doesn't say pass or fail. It exposes what has already been. That's what an audit does. Job is being audited of his faith. And how does he pass the test of faith? He endured so that he can bless others. Church, do you know how you pass your test of uh, audit of faith? Endure so you can bless others. I can't tell you the amount of people that I have in my life that have endured much harder struggles in my life who look at me, who come to me and say, I've been there. Doesn't that change everything from you when you meet somebody who says, I've been there? It changes everything. And all of a sudden they're able to say, I know the pain. Let me help you. Here's some takeaways. When you're blessed, say this, I deserve, I deserve none of this. I am gifted. I didn't earn this. And because I'm gifted, I'll gift others. When you're blessed with your career, with your intellect, with your health, with your money, with your finances, with your time, look and say, I didn't, I didn't deserve this, but now I have it, so I'm going to gift it to others. That's the first thing. Second thing, when you're afflicted, don't think, oh, no, i got to clean up my act. Oh, no, I've really pissed God off. Don't think that. You may have. I, I'm, not, I'm too stupid to know all that. That's above my pay grade. God could be punishing you. He, he does that. I, but it's not our default. It's not the first place we go. Instead, think of it this way. Maybe I'm being audited because God wants me to struggle to be perfect like he is perfect. Do you see? When trouble comes do not say, I deserve this trouble, but rather I am gifted this trouble so that I might gift others. Do you see, friends? And then lastly, Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope that does not put us to shame because God loves, love has been poured out unto our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God loves you so much that like a good parent, he's going to make you struggle. Why? Church, why? Because don't you realize that if you're given everything in life without struggling, that you'll think you deserve it? And you won't ever think to yourself, how do I grow? How do I mature? How do I plumb the depths of pain and suffering and blessing? God loves you enough to make you struggle. So struggle well. 
struggle with doubt, struggle with skepticism, and struggle knowing that he went before us on the cross and he was left alone. He was blameless and took on sin so that you and I would never have to be. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.